Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. It is Rock and Roll Friday on The Savage Nation, the 20th of November in the year of our Lord, 2020. It is open mic to mic, which means... You can dial 855-400-SAVAGE, 855-407-282. And I suggest you grab that line while you can because come January 1, basically we go silent. You can't reach me. That's right. You heard me. So if you want to get in on the last great days of the Savage Nation on radio, wonderful 26-year run. It's a long show. Many, many years. Wonderful years. The show has been really good to me. And I hope I've been very good to you. Borders language culture will live long after this show does. Unfortunately, we're now living in a world where the word borders, language, and culture are laughable to the San Francisco political machine that will soon be running the nation. Now, what are the topics of today? Well, there's so many different topics. Uh, Let me begin what we did last time. What we did last time was very interesting to me. I did one of my favorite kind of shows, which was almost apolitical, sort of apolitical, not really. It was more political than most political shows. But apolitical in the sense I didn't talk about the election. I'll leave that to those who can't do anything else. Because we have no effect on the outcome. You understand that? At this point, we the sheeple have no, no impact whatsoever on what the power structure wants. And the power structure, meaning the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, the media, the Supreme Court, the military, have all decided Donald Trump must go. So it doesn't matter what Giuliani does. God bless him. He's trying his best. I'm not going to make a mockery of the hair dye running down into his mouth. I mean, look, you know, it happens. He's old and he's doing the best he can. On uh, November 18th, which was two days ago, I did a uh, show called 1950s America compared to 2020s. As I suspected, it's trending to be one of the biggest podcasts that I've done to date. I knew it would be. I just sensed it because the way I did it, my I was really into it. It really worked. Now, I want to do something for you. Uh, 855-407-28. So please grab a line even if you're streaming the show because this will be the last few weeks you'll ever be heard on my show. There will be no call-ins. As of right now, once the podcast starts on January, God willing, we're not having a call-in line. It just won't happen. If I do, in fact, have a Sunday evening show, the one-hour show I'm trying to put together, it's going to be all calling. It'll only be calls because the minute I go live, when you'll be pent up from a whole week of not being able to call me, the lines will go hot. I won't even have to, you know, say anything other than, hello, it's the Savage Nation. What do you want to say? And we'll have a free-for-all call-in. Now, I have a few stations who want to be the, what shall I say, the, uh, the flagship for the Sunday evening show. Unfortunately... I have not yet chosen which station will be the flagship, and uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful time with you, and as I say, hopefully there'll be many years to come on the podcast. We'll have to see. It's up to you. Now, I did some research for you. I was curious myself as to which are the top performing episodes by unique listeners over the last 30 days. I'd actually like to do it over the last year. That would be good, Robert. How do I get that one? How do I find it over the last year? What do I have to do to do that one? Not over the last, well, over the last 30 days, the number one download po- downloaded podcast was, is it time to end our two-party system? Next was the election stolen, stolen using voting machines. <laughs> Next was election autopsy by Dr. Savage. Next was what happens if Biden wins, San Francisco values. Next was really savage questions I would have asked during the debate. Next was, was whistleblower who claims voter fraud, blah, 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 dangerous demagogue or greatest American president, the COVID plague, how is it affecting your life, 10 reasons to vote for Trump, and then there was another big one, Savage Broadcast Live on Twitter's Periscope. That's always very popular. Not as popular as a 16-year-old stripping on the dinner table uh, where you can get 100 million downloads in front of your father, but that's TikTok, that's not... That's not the, uh, the, the format that I am using. 
855-407. Robert, is there a way for me to find out the top episodes of all time? I have to go to Dashboard by listeners. It's interesting how you look at this stuff. I absolutely love it. Go to Dashboard. Then it is my last 30 days. When I find it, I'll read it to you. I know that there was some way back in the beginning that actually pulled even more bigger numbers when we were doing the early stuff in February on the epidemic. The things that I was offering you were unique to radio, as you would expect from someone who has an actual PhD in epidemiology from a great university. And I tried to warn you, but you were misled by those who, uh, let us say, meant well, I suppose, but told you it was not a real disease, not to worry about it, take no precautions, etc. And the fact of the matter is, the reason Donald Trump lost is because the media used that against him. It's as simple as that. They found his vulnerability, as in the animal kingdom. Animals find the vulnerability of the other animal, and then they go for the weak point. Donald Trump's weak point, rightly or wrongly, was COVID, and they made him own it, even though he didn't cause it, even though he did everything he could to control it. And while Pelosi and the Democrat demagogues were telling you that it was racist to block travelers from China, the president was actually blocking travelers from China. But because of the vermin in the media like Anderson Cooper, I'm starting to think he's the worst of all of them. You know, I could do a whole show on who do you hate the most in the media? Who do you think should be deported? That would be a fun show. But I don't think we'd get anywhere since they run the country. What do you want to talk about? Because uh, we are open for business on the Savage Nation. Now, I would like to now go to the one place that I must tell you to go to on a daily basis, especially come January. You have to go there in January. You're going to have to go there in January, and that is michaelsavage.com. It is the place that is the least, uh, let us say, banned, controlled, blocked of anything that I do. There's no suits looking over my shoulder. There are no competitors looking over my shoulder. The few advertisers that are on it give me 100% freedom. I never talk to them. God bless them all. It's michaelsavage.com. So what did I choose to put up there? Well, let's look at number one. I don't know what the order of the stories are, but here's one. Nearly a third of Democrats believe the election was stolen from Trump. That's a third of the Democrats. The Trump Pentagon nominee hunted and killed two elephants in Zimbabwe, another fine human being. Another one hunted and killed two elephants in Zimbabwe. Another wonderful human being. Next, drug trafficker executed for kidnapping and raping a teen and burying her alive. Wonderful fellow. Good man. Really, really a fine man. Uh, let's see. Uh, man awaiting trial for alleged murder of teen girlfriend is killed in prison beating. They took care of their own down in Australia. I guess they don't like, I guess they don't like prisoners in Australia who, who, who hurt children. This guy was a tough looking guy. Big guy. Tattoos. Someone beat him to death. Jail is not a good place for child molesters. For some reason, prison justice is more, let us say, more apt than uh, street justice. Street justice doesn't exist in America. The vermin street protesters who broke windows, looted televisions in the name of uh, racial harmony and racial justice, every case was thrown out. Did you hear this in Minneapolis? Prosecutors declined to pursue many of the cases because they concluded the protests were exercising their basic civil rights. So that means you, the right-wingers, you, the middle-of-the-roaders, you, the conservatives, I guess your civil right could be breaking windows and beating up leftists, and then the case will be thrown out. No, it won't, because then they'll say, wait, that's not, that's not peaceful protesting. That's not freedom of assembly. That's assault. That's robbery. That's, that's terrible. So all of the cases in Minneapolis were thrown out by the vermin in black robes, which is why back in the 90s when I was making my name in radio, I created many original phrases, including the stench from the bench is making me clench. Why don't you think about that one? The stench from the bench is making me clench. And here it is again. The stinking judges in Minneapolis threw out all the cases who attacked people, attacked police, attacked stores, robbed from stores, the Black Lives Matter thugs, the Antifa thugs, the fascists of our time. Almost all the cases were thrown out by the stench from the bench. And so what do we have left? Well, let's see what we have left. Here's another little story for those of you who think that the world's gone insane. There's a large boulder on the campus of the University of Wisconsin, 
And the Black Lives Matter, actually they're called the Black Students Union or something there. I don't know what they're called there, that group. They said the rock is racist. Now, although the rock is gray, it was declared racist for something about it 150 years ago. And although it's been on the campus bothering no one this boulder for the last many, many years, the morons at the university have said the rock is racist and the voters have voted to remove the rock from the campus. That's the world we're living in. Now you know why I'm banned on Twitter, or let's say shadow banned by some third world lunatic. Could you imagine they hire people for $15 an hour who hardly speak English, who have the power to block you in a method called shadow banning? Can you imagine that Zuckerberg doesn't have enough billions of dollars, that he hires third worlders for like, what, $12 an hour so he can make more billions, and they block law-abiding patriotic American citizens? Can you imagine that we've lost our First Amendment, Second Amendment, our freedom of assembly, all in the blink of an eye, all because of an invisible microbe? You better, better make sure you understand all of that real fast. All right, we're open for business. 855-400-SAVAGE. Back in a minute. Savage. You know how fast 25 years goes? I don't know how time gets compressed like this. I feel the same way I did during the first weeks of my radio show. Time is compressed. It's an amazing fact. And now remember this. This was not my first career. I've had many other careers. Well, many. I've had three really big careers. I'm not talking about uh, working as a busboy or as a lifeguard or any of that stuff. I've had three major careers. Then I went into radio when I was about 50 years old. Most men would have given up and rolled over and died. But apparently, that was not, let us say, my fate. I started this career rather late in life. And immediately, I knew that I was a natural. You know how you know you're a natural in something, or no matter how much you study, you're not good at it? Like, I'm a terrible ball player. No matter how I tried, I really was not good on the field. It's that simple. So I never went into ball. You know, I like it once in a while. But So, you know, there's other things you find out in life. You try things, you find out what you're good at, what you're bad at, and then you find out what you're great at and what you're natural at. And I, I really floated like a butterfly and stung like a bee, literally from the day I began in radio. From the first day in 1994, everyone knew that a fresh voice had arisen out of nowhere, it seemed. And, well, okay, so here we are. The blink of an eye, it's a quarter of a century or more later. And it's hard to understand how time is compressed like this. It doesn't seem like 25 years, does it? Now, there are some of you listening to this show who listened to my very first overnight show in San Francisco on KGO and I fill in for uh, a gentleman <clears throat> who has recently passed away and I did his he was a super left winger and he built a show based on racism against white people and he got away with it because even then you could get away with that you see the, the race you could always attack is the white race that's a given that was considered fair game so for some reason the program director threw me into that lion's den I didn't even know what show it was I never listened to it I never listen to the radio. Who listened to the radio for midnight? No one. Normal people don't listen to the radio. You got to be nuts to listen. Well, unless you're a worker who came home at night or whatever. What? What's the hand up for? Oh, <laughs> Robert said he listens to the radio at midnight. Hey, let's have a round of applause for Robert Borowski. Robert is in the studio all alone today. You want to hear what pressure is? Um, let us say the other gentleman who's worked with me for so many years, Jim Verdi, is not able to be in today. He won't be in for the rest of the next week or two. So Robert's alone. Now, normally, there's a fill-in call screener. Unfortunately, the network couldn't seem to find anyone to even do that. So uh, Robert is doing the board operating. Those of you who know what radio is about, he's working the board and taking calls. And you know what? He's doing a better job, Jim. No, I'm joking. Come on. I love Jim and Robert. And putting together the podcast. And it's all good. And he's in, in there alone. I kind of like pressure. I, I must tell you the truth. I like when things go a little wrong. It's like, I guess, when you're flying a plane and it has I don't know, a couple engines and one goes out, but you know it could fly in that one engine. It's a challenge. It's not exactly the same as falling out of the sky, but radio is like walking on a tightrope. You're only one statement away from disaster at any time. 
And when you're as skilled as I am at this, you never, ever make that mistake. You never make that mistake. It's intuitive at that point. You know just how far you can go. It's like a hockey player. One of the beauties of the hockey game is the puck, the puck. And when they knock knock the puck into the plexiglass and you think it's going to hit you in the stands and it doesn't because of the barrier, that's the most exciting moment. It was the same with radio. I, 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 I hit the puck against the, the plexiglass from time to time. I try not to, but sometimes it happens. Now let's take some calls. Dave in North Carolina, line five. Uh, quickly, what's, what's your question, my friend? David. Dave. Hi. Dave. Hi, doctor. Yes. Wow. We'll go say something already. But my headphones okay. are working. Sorry. Uh, uh, goodbye. Take a walk. You know, I... It's a national show. I give you an opportunity. I'm ready. The headphones are in my, my tachas. My foot went in my ear. My nostrils are running into my finger. I'm not interested in what's wrong in your house. Now let's take the next call. Teddy in California, line one. Go ahead, please. Michael, I love you. I don't want you to get off the radio. I've been listening to you for 25 years. Please don't go. What's well, not up to me? Teddy, do you understand what censorship is? Yes, sir. Do I have to say any more? We hear about Twitter or Facebook. How about censorship in radio? How come that's never become an issue? Exactly. Hello. How about being banned in Britain? How about I'm the fact that I'm the only person in the American media who's not allowed to travel to Britain? And some of the vermin who pretend to be more than ambulance chasers actually cheered when I was banned in Britain. And they've laughed all the way to the bank. Thanks for the wonderful morons who listen to them. Savage. The crypt in here. So cold in my house. It's like a crypt. I, I can't work in the heat. Are we back on the air, Robert? I'm joking. Of course we are. No, it's like a crypt. My hands are like ice cold. But I, I like a cold I like a cold studio. I don't like warm. Warm my, my brain melts. Think about people in the tropics. God bless them. What if they ever contributed to world civilization? They're too they're too comfortable. It's only the northern people lived in the freezing cold. If you know if you look at it, I know you're not allowed to say it as geo uh, racist or something. But it's uh it's it's a matter of fact. If you look in the southern hemisphere, this is a fact. What do you want me to do? Change reality? It's people from the cold climates that have given the world most of the advancements in technology and civilization. And that's because they were driven to do so by the severe weather. If you live in nice, temperate, calm climates, you become like a person in San Francisco or L.A. You know, no afference, no creativity. Everything is cool. Everything is tolerated. So when you start saying 20 years ago, you got to rein in some of the bums off the streets, they call you a racist for saying that they're bums. They're not bums, they're homeless. They're supposed to have a home. And then eventually when they're the only thing left in the street of the bums crapping in mailboxes, they say to you, well, you know, maybe you had something there 20 years ago. Gee, maybe I should have listened to you as they wave goodbye uh, from their moving truck as they move to, uh, to, uh, to Marin County if they, can, if they can buy something. And they're leaving in droves. They destroy their own cities, wherever they are. They'll destroy everything that they touch with their tolerance. So I said to you, I'm being shadow banned on Twitter and Facebook, and I said, we have lost freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. By the way, add it up. We've lost freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. I said, what's next from the new tyrants? That's quite a statement, isn't it? So Guy McFarlane, who follows me, said this. He says, Michael, I have to type in your entire Twitter handle before you'll pop up up on Twitter and Google. And you're in my search history, yet I still have to type your entire name into the search bar before you will show up. Anything else, if you type just two letters of the title, that pops up. So that's what we mean by shadow banned. That's what he uses the $15 an hour people from Sri Lanka for or the $12 an hour people from Pakistan. Do you know that most of the people who work for these big tech companies are not citizens? Do you know that? Do you know that they lobbied repeatedly the Trump administration and successfully at that? By the way, if you think there's a big difference between the two parties, then you're really naive. 
They lobbied continuously over the last two years to increase H-1B visas, to make sure that more people would come to this country to work for less money than American workers. So you ask, well, why didn't Trump stop it? I don't know. Ask Trump why he didn't stop it. Who in the Trump administration let this happen? I don't know. What do I know? I'm just a talk show host. How would I know? Why didn't he stop it when he could have? Why didn't he do a lot of things when he could have? Well, he did as much as he could, I suppose. And uh, that's all anyone could do. It's a compromise in any job. Whether you're the president or a uh, dishwasher, you have to compromise with your boss. And make no mistake about it, the president, no matter who he is, is not really the boss. He's got more power than anyone in the country, but he's not the boss of bosses. He usually can be controlled by Congress. Why? Well, that's how the founding fathers set it up, so we didn't have a dictatorship. Now, of course, the liberals have said that Trump is a dictator, he's Hitler, he's Nazi, fascist. They've seen nothing yet. Wait until you see what happens when the San Francisco monstrosity called Kamala Harris becomes president. Wait till you think she's not going to be the president? I told you that three months ago. I told you that. Who is she? She's not a personality unto herself. Kamala Harris, again, is not the boss of Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris got where she is by playing the game with the Democrat establishment in San Francisco that destroyed the city and the state. Now, you would think that people who have destroyed a city that was once the most beautiful, vibrant city in the country, if not the world, and destroyed a state, the Golden State, you would think that these power-mad maniacs would say, wait a minute, we have some things wrong, we shouldn't do this. You are wrong. Because it's been said by a far wiser man than I, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I believe it was Lord Acton who wrote that. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. They would decimate the entire world and will decimate the entire world once they get control of this country. And that's what's waiting for you. Wait until you see who screams the loudest. It will be the progressives who will say, now, wait a minute, we voted for you, but you went a little too far. Yeah, as they uh, look back from their moving trucks, as they move to Marin County or Sonoma. So the words abuse of power have a real meaning. And uh, back in, gee, I have to look at the year, there was a book written back in the year... What year is this already? God, time marches on. 2011. A very, very creative man wrote a book in 2011, published in 2011, entitled Abuse of Power. And this creative man wrote a novel called Abuse of Power, and it was about Jack Hatfield, who was a hardened former war correspondent who rose to national prominence for his insightful, provocative commentary. But after being smeared as a bigot, and extremist by a radical leftist media watchdog group, he ultimately loses his job <laughs> and finds himself working in obscurity as a freelance news producer in San Francisco. One afternoon, Hatfield is on a ride-along with the SFPD bomb squad when a seemingly routine carjacking turns deadly after police find several pounds of military-grade explosives in the jacked car. And when the FBI urges Hatfield to stay out of it, he knows he's onto something big. The event will open, this event will open up a shadowy trail that leads Hatfield from San Francisco to Tel Aviv, London, Paris, and back again, as he works with a stunning Yemeni intelligence agent and a veteran Green Beret to expose a terrorist group known as the Hand of Allah and a plot within the highest corridors of power that will dwarf 9-11. In this lightning-paced first thriller, spanning the globe from Europe and Israel to the back alleys of San Francisco's Chinatown, a reporter must make the choice between protecting his own life and investigating a terrorist cell whose goal is nothing less than total political control, no matter what the cost. He was a really, really good writer, this guy. And uh, he wrote this novel called Abuse of Power, based upon the statement by Lord Acton, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And even then, he saw what was going on in this country. And it's funny, this author quoted this in the uh, opening pages. He said, extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. Moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. And that was Barry Goldwater in 1964. And this novel by this author who you never heard of, he's an un, he's a nun person in the new Soviet America, 
this author uh, who wrote Abuse of Power takes you on quite a ride in this story, and I highly recommend it if you're interested uh, in, in some history and some terrorism and what actually goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot of good quotes in there. And uh, one of my favorite quotes in that, in that novel is some of the dialogue that goes on between liberals and conservatives in the cafes of North Beach or San Francisco. And so in one of them, I think the character is talking to, uh, to I don't know who, he's got a pornographer who lives in the, who, at that time it was a very interesting place in North Beach. There were all sorts of people would talk with each other, even though they had different political opinions. They would laugh when they confronted each other and talked. They didn't scream at each other or yell. So in one of the scenes, I'm going to stop right here in a minute. So Jack is talking to somebody named Max. I forget who it is. And he says, well, you know how I feel about sex, Max, don't you? The position is ridiculous, the relief momentary, and the results catastrophic. She laughed. Yeah, I've read Chesterfield, Jack, but I think that's probably the scotch talking Don Juan. Or maybe you're just turned on by the fact that I saved your hide tonight. There was a great interchange. Of course, not recommended or even recognized by the great San Francisco newspaper uh, because you cannot recognize anyone unless they're a left-wing salenterate in San Francisco, someone who does your bidding. So here we are, all these years later, having a little fun on the radio today with great callers. And uh, let's take some nice callers here on the show. I don't know what to grab, Robert. What's the best one? Okay, let's go to Steve somewhere in California. Steve, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Dr. Savage, it's an honor to speak with you. And uh, Okay, you know what? I normally say, don't say thank you, but I'm going to say thank you. I'm going I'm to become polite in my old age. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, you know, I was a board operator for you in 95. on K- Oh, no. Wait, wait, wait. Whoa, whoa. This is great. Where? Uh, KFIV in Modesto. Okay, great. Great station. Radio jobs. Uh, yeah, yeah. AM. And wow. they got for the wall banger, which sucks. <laughs> okay, I got it. Say, hello? Yeah, go on. Okay, uh, Dr. Savage, when I took that job, I was a big liberal, early 20s radio guy. And I used to get so mad hearing what you said, and your words would just rattle in my head, and I would really get mad. Everyone else I ignored. But you got through to me, and, and what did it was your humanity. And what people don't understand is, you know, others that are trying to fill your shoes, I can't even listen to them talk a million miles a minute. No humanity, cold, sterile, they're nothing, they can't touch you. Well, one day you'll hear, it, you'll hear, about, you'll hear about Mile a Minute uh, come January. There's some very telling letters when Mile a Minute was, when Mile a Minute was a, an ambulance chaser, Mile a Minute wrote some letters that he'll come to regret he wrote because I have them all. They'll be released to the public. Mile a Minute will be exposed for what he is. Looking forward to it. I can't even listen to the guy. I can't listen to him. I got a bunch. Oh, Mickey Mouse on Laughing Gas has a big audience. Apparently, there's a lot of people who like Mickey Mouse on Laughing Gas. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, well. So, anyway, uh, I hope you'll follow me on the podcasts, uh, Steve. I hope you'll. Are you still listening to me on podcasts? If that's usually where I listen to you. I work overnight, and usually. Good, I- good, 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 good. Good. God, I wish my mother was still alive. I'd like to visit her. Well, I don't mean right now, God. Excuse me. Not ready. Not ready to get up there for the chicken soup in, in, in heaven with you. Did you, you know, those of you who've lost your parents, I know, I don't even know how I drifted into this. I figured what, but that's the nature of my show. I go from here. I go to there. I go from politics. I go to, so the man triggers me with humanity and then he brings back. So I'm going to tell you a story. So when my mom passed away, I don't know how, God, I don't know how many years ago now, 15, I don't remember. It's such a black day in your life when your parent dies. You don't know what it's like if you're a young person. Cherish them even if you hate them. That's all I can say to you. Even if you resent your parents, please cherish them because you will wake up one day and you'll say, wait a minute, I was wrong. What was I doing? To this day, sometimes I reach for the phone and I want to call her. Of course, it's too late for that. Because we would speak, you know, on a fairly regular basis. And there's a real powerful attachment that's unlike any other between a mother and a son. And although it can be very tense at times, as it usually is if you're strong-headed people with high IQs, it's the only relationship of its kind that will never be replaced. That's all I want to say. And I'm trying to say this to younger people who maybe are estranged from their parents 
and they think their parents are terrible people. Maybe the parent is a conservative and you're a super, you know, progressive and you think your parents are stupid. You better take a deep breath and recognize that not only may you be wrong, but they're the only parents you're ever going to have. Anyway, I want to get back to the uh, to the calls. They're astounding calls. And I didn't even get to the news. We have Biden getting tongue tied during his remarks. He, he said, I didn't know where he was. He started this sentence and he finished that sentence. How come? You don't know that he's not lasting six months. I told you, and I was quoted in the papers. I, Robert, I'll take the break in a minute. Mark my words. Within six months, he's in a wheelchair, God, God, God forbid, with the blanket over him, with around-the-clock care, and that's the end of that story. That's who you voted for, the next one, the San Francisco political machine. That's what you wanted to run America. Look at the fine job they're doing in this city. How much better can it be? I mean, don't you want bums crapping in your mailbox in your hometown? Well, that's what you're going to have under the Kamala Harris administration that's coming soon. Savage. It is the Savage Nation. There's only a minute left in this hour. Time is going as fast as the last quarter of a century has <laughs> the compression of the compression of time is very interesting to me. And I I once talked about it. I met a I met a man. Let's say he was a neighbor. He happened to be dying of cancer at the time. And he is a former athlete, fabulously powerful man, wonderful man without going into detail. So I would sit on his porch with him. And he said, I heard you mention that when you get older, time seems to move faster. And he said, I figured out why. And I explained it to you on the air once, but I don't remember it at all. I become like Biden. I can't even remember the explanation. But if there's anyone... <laughs> If there's anyone out there who can explain why, as we get older, time seems to be more compressed, I would appreciate hearing from, from you in the next hour. The phone number here is 855-400-SAVAGE. When I come back, I will also give you a list of the books that I'm currently reading. You're not going to believe that one. Stay tuned and find out. Westwood One Podcast Network. Fans of the spoken word, welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book, see the movie. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Now, God willing, come January, when only doing podcasts, I would talk about this topic for an entire hour, about the, the concept of time. What is time? Is time real? What does it really mean? Do animals know time? And things like that. But we're not going to do that today. I want to just read one email from my friend, Dr. Jack Sarfati, a world-famous physicist, where I asked, why do you think time seems to move faster with age? And Jack studies these things, and he said, because we process information slower. If in one minute a young person has one moment of consciousness each second, that's 60 memories. If in one minute an older person has one moment of consciousness each two seconds, that's 30 memories. Does that make sense to anybody? Yeah, Robert says yes. I don't even understand it. I, I, is Jack right? I don't really think of it that way. You know, I mean, to me, memory is fluid, and it's very difficult to know if we control our memories to a certain extent, the more I've been thinking about memories, dreams, and reflections taking off on Carl Jung, I think back in my own way. Let's just take radio without going into the whole, the whole ball of wax here. I could tell you that I remember the first night I did radio, uh, March, whatever it was, 4th or whatever it is in that year, 20, uh, 1994. And I can remember the night. I can remember driving home. I can remember saying I'll never do radio again. And I can remember each step along the way of my career when the program director, I don't know if I can mention the great Jack Swanson, you know, and the, the rest is history. Then he said, well, we're creating. See, at that time, I was a fill-in on KGO. 
great station at the time, really one of the great talk stations in the history of radio was KGO, a 50,000 watt, you know, it was a flamethrower heard from Mexico to Canada. It was exciting to tune into that station late at night and hear Bill Wattenberg, God rest his memory, and so many other people. And I would listen to it, you know, and it was nice to be on it as a fill-in host. And then I got a call from the great Jack, and he said, look, I'm creating a new talk station, a conservative version called KSFO, and we'd like you to be the anchor of this station. Would you like to do morning drive? I said, never. I'll never do a morning show. I had other people ask me to do morning shows because that was the moneymaker. I said, no, I'm not a morning guy. I'm not getting up three in the morning. No, no amount of money on earth is worth it to me. So anyway, so I did afternoon drive, and I, I uh, created a whole world of followers. It was a shocking revelation for many in San Francisco because they had not heard a difference of opinion or a differing opinion. It was a lockdown liberal environment. Everyone thought that's how everyone thought, but in their heart of hearts, they knew that there was other people thinking other ways. So there was this guy who came out of the box, and, you know, that, that was the beginning of the career. One thing led to the other. Now, I remember, it's a funny thing, that at the time, that was an ABC affiliate. Uh, KSFO, KJ were owned by ABC. And there was a guy, I don't even remember his name, who was the head of syndication. And he'd come through town every few months on, a, on his, you know, visits. I don't remember his name. He was a rotund, very nice guy. And I would say to him, look, I'm a natural talent. You know I am. I have a six share, a seven share. No one's ever done anything like this in radio. You should syndicate this show. This is back in the early 90s. And of course they should have syndicated the show. But unfortunately for me, the local general manager did not want to let go of me because at the time he ran it like a plantation and anyone on that plantation was his, uh, his, his chattel. So he, as I understand it, blocked me from being syndicated for many years. And then eventually even, even the plantation owner had to, be, uh, had to uh, let it go. And I, I stepped away from them. I was syndicated by a little company, blah, blah, blah. And that time went on. And it's been a lot of ups and downs. And, I, you know, if you're a younger person, let me give you some hint about life. Nothing that you get in life is going to be easy. Nothing. So you could be one of these complainers on the campuses using race as a weapon. You know what that's going to get you in life? I don't know. You could wind up vice president. Who knows? You never know today. But by and large, it's not going to get you what you think it's going to get you. You could only use your grievances up to a point. In the real world, they don't matter. They don't need up to, to and a fly's droppings are of more value than your alleged grievances. As I think I told you this story many years ago, there was a man sitting on a park bench, as the story goes, and he's depressed and he's full of malaise. And the older woman sits next to him. She says, blah, blah, blah. And they start to talk. So she says to him, so what's bothering you? In those days, people would actually talk to strangers without fear of being mugged or raped. Well, so what's bothering you? And he tells her all his problems and complaints that this one did this to him and this one did that to him and he didn't get what he deserved and he's an all-around brilliant fellow and no one published his film script and no one did this. And she said, you know, in this world, you have to take what you want. You can't expect it to be given to you. Now, most people who are successful know that. Everyone that I know who has achieved success on a minor scale or on a major scale has the, the same exact story to tell. They all say the same thing. One of my dear friends is an older man now in his 90s. He built one great business after another. Never robbed anyone. He gave money away by the millions. Never took anyone from any, a dime from nobody. Not a dime from anyone. Never stole a penny from anybody. He was the toughest businessman I ever met. While he wouldn't take anything that wasn't his, he wouldn't let anyone take anything that was not theirs. Let me put it to you that way. If you try to steal a penny from him, he'd fight you in court for a half a million dollars for that penny. That's his sense of justice. So what I'm saying to you is you've got to work very hard for what you want, especially in this time of COVID. I'm telling young people, it really didn't matter who won this election in terms of the, the, the economics of what's coming. Nobody is going to be able to save this economy. The next six months after January are going to be the worst six months in your life if you're, you're young. Now, I suspect Biden will bail you out so you could stay at home and watch whatever you watch. And do nothing with your life, but you're only, you know, I don't know how that's going to work out for you in the long run. Uh, maybe there's no option. But whoever is going to be running this country come January, there's almost no way to save this, econ this economy. And then you have this governor of the state of California, the governor of New York, the governor of Michigan. These people are so crazy.
with their power drunkenness that it's hard to imagine that they're sane. Why would someone, after wrecking the economy with a lockdown last spring and learning his mistakes about a blanket shutdown and then suddenly coming to understand that selective quarantines were in order last February, selective lockdowns were in order from last March, why would a man who learned all of that suddenly go back to a phase where he destroys every restaurant Every bar, every gym in the state of California. Who is going to bail the state out? Oh, I forgot. Sorry. Kamala Harris is dear friend. Will soon be in power and she'll bail the state of California out. Well, that's all well and good. But for how long? Where is the money supposed to come from? Oh, I see. They'll take it from those who have. I see. So in other words, they'll take your houses away from you. They'll take what, what else away from you to fund this bailout, this socialism that's coming. We don't know where this can go. We don't know how far this could go. We have no idea where this ends. We do know that there are disastrous consequences. As Margaret Thatcher said many years ago, socialism is a wonderful system of government until you run out of other people's money. Try to tell that to the three governors who are decimating the citizens of their states in the most draconian and foolish manners imaginable. And now that I've gotten that off of my chest, let's play some sound bites, Robert, if you're near the board, because time is marching on. And time, God, time is really racing here on this Friday, isn't it? Uh, there's a couple of sound bites you have to hear. Here is Biden getting tongue-tied during his COVID remarks. This is the president, the incoming president in clip three. Listen to this now. Underserved communities that are being hardest hit by the pandemic, black, brown, Latino, Latin American community, Native American communities. Small towns, rural communities. They talked about that in some detail. Thirdly, we discussed the need to help states with Title 32 funding for the National Guard. That's a fancy way of saying governors, governors need to be able to get funding when they when they they need to uh, bring bring their National Guard into play. Mm -hmm, The National mm Guard is going to have to play this. It costs a lot of money. So what is he saying right there, Mr. Fumfer? Mr. Fumford just said they're going to use basically a military force to control the population, and that's what they need money for. Did you hear this? Now, he said nothing when his friends in the Black Lives Matter thug movement or his friends in the Antifa fascist movement were burning, looting, attacking police, robbing things. He didn't want the National Guard then, did he? So what does he need the National Guard for? Well, that's to make sure that you stay in line, all of you deplorables that you give up what you have worked for all your life. Well, I say to you, Mr. Biden, not so fast, Uncle Joe. You've seen nothing yet. Go ahead. Try to take it from the 72 million armed to their teeth. You may find out they're not exactly the snowflakes that are going to roll over like they did for the Masketeers. Savage. Nineteen fifty-five, Chevy Bel Air, dual exhaust, two quads. Anyway, so here we are. Oh, I'm a, I'm a car nut. I'm going to do whole podcasts on cars, car racing, guys who can make cars, fix cars. Just the smell of the fuel. One of my favorite smells is that of leather, old leather, and gasoline dripping in a garage. <laughs> Just old cars. I used to love that smell as a kid going into garages that smelled of old leather and, and gasoline dripping. They don't smell anymore. Cars have no personality. A lot of old people drive, you know, run their mates over in the, in the garage with electric cars. They don't even know that, that the car started. So one of the things I want to do is I'm going I'm to read from my novels, for example. I could read from my novels and stop at certain paragraphs and talk to you about when I wrote this paragraph, why I wrote this paragraph. So I'm going to read you one right now from Abuse of Power. And it starts with this. Tel Aviv, Israel, welcome to the city that never sleeps, the Rebs said as they, as they exited the highway. So they're going into Tel Aviv. And um, they're reflecting back on San Francisco, the detective. And Hicks says to him, if you're looking for fire and brimstone, you should check out my old friend Rabbi Nirshim, toughest Jew I know. The more he heard about this rebellious Rebbe, hence the Reb, the more curious Jack got. Although he'd been raised Catholic, he'd always been attracted to his mother's history and culture. 
So a few days later, he set up a meeting with Nirsham, discovered a kindred soul, and the two became instant friends. And when the Reb found out Hatfield had Jewish blood, he insisted Jack join him and his friends on Friday nights for prayer, vodka, and a home-cooked meal, an invitation Jack had accepted more than once. Hicks had been right. Nirsham was a tough old Jew. The product of an orthodox day school, the Reb had fallen out of love with Judaism in his late teens, and much to his parents' dismay, decided to rebel. He was a hippie in the 60s, later a boxer. Then in his middle years, he rediscovered his roots with a fierce passion and spent five years studying Jewish law at a rabbinical seminary in New York. This was followed by a year in Israel before returning to San Francisco as an ordained rabbi. He soon married the love of his life, Miriam, and fathered two sons and three daughters, all now grown. The Reb was a black hat, a Chabad Lubavitch Hasid, who often spent weeks at a time in Tel Aviv. And uh, then it goes on from there. And then they get involved in undercovering a terrorist cell in in San Francisco. And I I bring the story back to that. So now if I were doing the podcast, I'd speak with you for about 20 minutes about is this person real? Is there such a rabbi? Well, the answer is yes. And I will tell you about him during a podcast of who I based it upon. I think he's since passed away, but there was a man just like that. So I think that's very interesting. You know, when you think about, oh, what am I going to do during the podcast? With a man of my many backgrounds and my many interests and my many books, believe me, I don't have to read the news anymore. Although, I don't know who's going to care about the news come February, March, April. Eh, you know, when, the, when they get crazier by the day, you'll still have talk radio because it's still going to be important to know what they're doing to us and how they're stealing our freedoms and our money. And I suspect that's, that's going to be an important thing for talk radio, but not for a free-form podcast. It's not that interesting to do the news on a podcast. I think it has to be much more literary and more personal, and I believe my audience expects exactly that uh, from me. So I'm giving it a lot of thought, exactly what I want to do, and the more I think about it, the easier it becomes. I don't want to overthink this. Uh, I have so many things that always bubble up into my consciousness from the depths that, um, you know, I can go anywhere with it, like reading from Abuse of Power or taking passages out from a time for war or countdown to Mecca. These novels are very important to me, and yet they're unknown. I mean, remember this. Please remember this. These books were best-selling books. They all made the New York Times bestseller list. Now, just because you didn't hear about them from the mainstream media doesn't mean that there aren't people who read those books. To this day, my publisher says, why don't you do another Jack Hatfield novel? I'm not going to do it. There's a couple of reasons, but I don't want to go into why. Maybe I'll tell you about it in January or February. I don't want to do any more of the potboiler type of books, even though they're good. They take so much out of you to do them in any way that makes sense. And uh, as I talked to you about time, time is everything. So what do you do with your time? If time is of the essence, if time is of significance in your life. Now, all of us have a lot of extra time in our hands right now. That's a whole other question, boy. I don't know how people are coping. I'm very lucky that I have a very fertile imagination and I have a very a, a, a tremendous amount of interests. I, mean, I could spend an entire afternoon looking at, at art, for example, online or in, in person and thinking about it and, and reflecting on it. You know, I don't know what people do in these times. It's very difficult. We know that liquor stores and, and alcohol sales are going through the roof. That's not a good sign. It means people are drinking more. Drug sales, legal and illegal, are going very, very high. Uh, People are in therapy. There's high rates of divorce. Suicide is up. Now you get these maniac governors who know this, who have heard experts, real experts, say that the price of lockdowns is much higher than the price of COVID. Be careful. You're destroying people's lives. And yet these dictators don't care And not one word from the imaginary left in America, the so-called freedom-loving liberals going along with the lockdowns like the little sheeple they've always been. Savage. God, what a great state this was when I moved out here. It was, I swear to God, 1974, do you know what the state was like? Do you have any idea how beautiful this state was in 1974? Do you know what magic it was, how you could do anything you wanted? You could 
create anything you wanted. It was so open and free. And look what it turned into. A little mini fascist Stasi state. How did ultra tolerance lead to ultra control? How did it go? How did it become the antithesis of what it once was? How did a nation built on free love, a state built on free love, free thought, if you want to put it that way, how did it become a state of mind of this kind to make a very bad uh, iambic out of it? How did we let it happen? Because ultra tolerance is killing us. Once you start tolerating the intolerable, you'll tolerate almost anything, including the loss of your own freedoms. And that's what happens in a liberal state like California. But I don't want to sit here and bellyache about it. I want to read you some headlines and take some calls. I didn't get to these headlines. I thought these stories were important. And I posted them on michaelsavage.com. So there's only four of them. WHO rejects Gilead remdesivir drug Trump took to treat COVID-19. It's a very interesting study. Many of you say, oh, they don't want to tell you that anything really works other than a vaccine. No, that's not true. Uh, If you look at the actual study, you'll find that remdesivir is really not that good a drug. It did very little. It was a setback for the drug, which grabbed worldwide attention as a potentially effective treatment of COVID in the summer after early trials showed some promise. But uh, right now, uh, Gilead's remdesivir, which was touted when the president claimed he took it, probably did, and he claims it helped cure him. I don't know that that's what did it. But uh, a large trial has just been done, known as the Solidarity Trial, big trial, much bigger than the original one. That means how many people were tested. It showed that remdesivir had little or no effect on 28-day mortality or length of hospital stays for COVID-19 patients. So I want you to understand that a lot of these flash-in-the-pans drug, flash-in-the-pan drugs like HCQ, remdesivir, they looked promising, but in long-term studies, they're not promising. Now, hold it. Many of you say, oh, no, 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 you want to just push vaccine? No, no, I'm not, not that guy. Uh, I'm purely into the studies and science. It's that simple. Next story, a whole Australian state shut down because of a takeout pizza that didn't exist. An entire state of Australia was locked down. 1.7 million once proud Australians were forced to stay in the house by a few nitwits in the uh, health department who uh, said that a pizza box uh, spread COVID. And it turned out the man who said that was an employee of the pizza restaurant who got the virus from a co-worker, not from the pizza box. And the moronic health authorities who destroyed this entire state of Australia over the pizza box said, oh, we made a mistake. Why didn't they go to jail? Why are there no consequences of being a moron in public health? Why is there no punishment for being a moronic public servant who's an idiot who makes a mistake like this? So here are these health authorities who are a little mini fascists. Something you got to understand about people in public health. Look, I, I, I went to graduate school with a lot of them. Many of them are smart and dedicated, but many of them are not. Many of them are lazy and stupid. And all they saw was an easy civil service job waiting for them. And so they go into fields and they don't really know what they're doing. They're not real scientists. And now they have the golden cow called COVID to use as a weapon against millions of people. And use it they do. There should be consequences for actions like this. You're a public health director. You make a mistake and you shut down an entire state or a town or a city. And it turns out that you didn't know what the hell you were doing. You should not only lose your job, you should lose your pension and you probably should go to jail for six months. A whole Australian state shut down because of a takeout pizza that didn't exist. You have to you have to look at the story. There's one other that I linked on michaelsavage.com. New squad member, you know what that means, left-wing fanatic fascist. New squad member suggests Biden needs to pay minority communities back after election support. So there's a real great piece of work coming in now called Congressman-elect Jamal Bowman, D. New York. So he's trying to threaten now Biden, saying that all the money has to go to black and brown people because they helped elect them. You hear this? Oh, yeah, it has to go to them now. Now, if that's not racism, tell me what is. Oh, I'm sorry, you, you, you don't see what's going on here? You don't see the tactics of the mafia? 
This is a sort of, um, how shall we put it in a way that won't close the show down earlier than January, December 31? It is a, um, what's it, it's a sort of mafia, that's all. It's a, it's a protection racket. If you say that money has to go only to black and brown people, if that's not racism, tell me what is. Tell me if that's not racism. What, what is racism if not saying a certain race has to get a certain amount of money? That's racism. It's a shakedown racket. Al Capone couldn't have gotten away with this in his time. But now they get away with it because, well, I guess it's in the name of racism. You can do anything you want. You can break a window and rob television and say you're doing it for racial justice. You hear? Anyway, let's move on. Yay, Michael. Let's move on. So there were some other sound bites that I found that were very good out there. There was a great interchange. I don't want to play Obama. I'm sick of him. Here's Dr. Burks, limit indoor gatherings to him. Who the hell is she? Where do all of these people come from? Listen, how do they tell you you can't have a Thanksgiving dinner with your family? Now, every one of them is saying the same thing. All these leftist fascists are saying the same thing. Here's a freak show named Dr. Tom Frieden. I think he worked for Obama. You're not going to believe what he has to say. Here is a man who was so drunk on his stupidity, he doesn't even know what he's saying in clip 10. Robert, play 10, please. The less time people spend together in indoor air, the lower the risk. And that's relevant as Thanksgiving comes. So if you go over to a friend's house, mask up the whole time you're not eating or drinking, and um, limit your time there. Also, other things that you can do, speak softer. Because louder voices, shouting, Are you screaming, listening? actually singing, spreads the virus a whole oh. lot more. And open the windows if you can. Shut the hell the up. Air blowing out. Just shut the, the hell up. Get off. He worked for Obama. And he's telling you to speak softly now. Uh, speak softly. Wear a mask. Shut your mouth. Be quiet. And don't sing. So they close churches. They close synagogues. But strip clubs are open. Did you know that, Robert? Robert says that's good. He likes that. Robert, <laughs> Robert, li- Robert likes that. <laughs> that quotient. Um, let's see. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Fauci, I'm moron. I don't know how this guy got away. Who does he know? Who does this guy Fauci know that he could survive in the deep, deep bowels of a bureaucracy for over 40 years? Who does he know? The pharmaceutical industry. What more do you need to know? When you have to be a genius to figure that one out. All right, let me, time is running short. You know, it's a Friday. And what, what day is today already? The 20th, right? The thing. I ordered the turkey already before the show. I heard there was a panic on turkeys. It was like toilet paper. I didn't even need the toilet paper when it came up in March. It, I, every time I go to the supermarket to buy, I'd look for toilet paper even though I didn't need it. And I'd say, God, they're out of toilet paper. So finally, toilet paper appeared. Then I bought toilet paper I didn't even need because it never ran out of it. So my garage is full of toilet paper. But so now I hear that there's a shortage of turkeys coming up, that they didn't raise enough, they didn't kill enough. So I said, you know, good for the turkey. I'll make a tofu bird or I'll I'll cook a fish. What the hell do I need a turkey for? I'm not a pilgrim. Where'd this come from? I need a turkey, the poor thing. So I'm going to kill millions of turkeys so the Americans can gorge on it and then collapse from the uh, tryptophan. So I called the local market and I said, do you have any turkeys this morning? I mean, yes, I wanted them. I always do one. Huh? He said, yeah, I got plenty of them. So I, 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 I surprised. I, I went a step further. You have the certain brand, the natural one. Yes, plenty of them. I said, you have an eight pounder? No, the smallest we have is a 12 to a 14. I said, give me the smallest you have. When can I get it? He said, well, whenever you want. So I'm going to get the bird this afternoon, I think, and uh, stick it in the refrigerator somewhere. I don't know, and you open it up with the plastic and the blood runs all over your hands. You're reminded what life really is. You don't hunt. But if you get a turkey in a plastic bag and you get blood on your hands, that's so unusual in America. Because when you buy, like, things now in the market, right, plastic, there's no blood, no feet, no neck, no beak, no brain, nothing. There's nothing. You don't even know it's a living creature that was in there that was raised to be tortured, tortured in its poor little life on Earth tormented tortured being fed antibiotics growth hormones and then killed you know the hunter at least knows what he's doing so you know you hear me put down hunters i do not put down hunting i put down scumbags who go and kill elephants i put down scumbags who kill elephants that shouldn't kill them they should be found and they should be executed the elephant killers that's what i talk about or people who chop the hands off a gorilla in africa they should be put into a a a a bark chipper for the whole public to see. 
There's a lot of difference between that and a person who hunts, for example. You hunt a deer, all right, there's a lot of deer in the world. Poor thing doesn't want to die, but it's going to die anyway one day, isn't it? You think you think about it, the animals that munching on the grass. But, you know, when I drive up sometimes a mountain and I see a, a buck, then a doe, then the, the little fawns, you know, you got to ask yourself, you knock out the mother, what the hell are the fawns going to do? Or you knock off the father who's leading the little family there, what are they going to do without the father with the horns? You know, you, you got to think it through. There's like a certain consciousness that arises. Now, I realize it could go to a certain level that becomes unhealthy. But where is that level? Where does it begin and where does it end? So let me tell you a story in the few seconds that remain. Again, gagging on my words. I don't have time. This is a story that could take 15 minutes to tell you correctly. I have to do it in 20 seconds or less. I don't like the pressure of radio, actually, right now. It's too much to do it right. Oh, to do it wrong, there's no pressure. Whenever you hear anyone tell you they got too much to talk about, they don't know where to begin. It means they don't know what the hell they're talking about, and they have nothing to say. But uh, so, again, there was a religious teacher, a rabbi, and we're talking in the 18th century in the old country. I think it was in, I don't know where, Russia, Poland. So in those days, they had nothing to do but think about God, destiny, existence, eternity. Life was very limited. And a lot of time to pray, to think about eternity. And so the religion developed an amazing literature. And in this literature, they developed a uh, form of thinking that was co- you could call mysticism. So one great mystical teacher arose, and he taught his sons that if you walked in the woods in total quietude, you could literally hear the trees and then the son was a you know a little kid. He didn't understand what he said, but he taught him to listen to the trees. Now there are many cultures who believe that trees have I don't I don't want to call it a soul, but a spirit in the wood in the living wood. That all living things have a spirit, and every culture on earth knew this and still knows it. Those in touch with nature, whether it be people in India or uh, Japan the trees that speak, the forest that talks. So this was not unusual. He didn't have a psychotic break. He heard the trees. And then when he went into his cabin, he told his son that he could hear the wood crying. The wood had been cut from trees and sawn into planks. That the the spirit of the wood was still in the planks that were used to build the cabin. Now you can say, all right, he was crazy. He was psychotic. I'm not that cynical, nor am I that sensitive that I hear the wood talking to me. I mean, when I walk in my house and I have a wooden floor made of pecan wood, I don't really don't talk to the wood. The day I start talking to the wooden floor, okay, is another word. There's another, another word for that. But I don't talk to the pecan floors. I, I think that they're dormant at a certain point. I don't know how long after, but they be, I think they become dormant at a certain point. But the point I'm making is that living things have spirits, whether it be a turkey, a chicken, a trout, a fly. We all are made up of similar components on a certain molecular and spiritual level. And once we come to realize that, and we realize that there's, of course, there's differences between all of us, you know, like snowflakes and all that. We're really the same, cut from the same exact dust. There's dust flying around that's made up of the same things we are in a certain way. And they're called molecules. And once you start getting into the molecular structure of a, of a molecule, a piece of dust, a mosquito, an ant, an elephant, a human, an eagle, you reach a point where you understand that it's good to be a man who is sensitive to these things. That it is not a sign of weakness to be a man like that. It's a sign of immense strength. And that's something that I hope to be able to to talk about at length and maybe get some spiritual experts from time to time to aid us in those discussions. You say, oh, it's airy-fairy California stuff. I don't want to hear it. I want to hear about COVID. Well, you'll have plenty of people on radio. That's what they do. You'll hear about COVID for the rest of your life on radio. That's all. But on my podcast, you're going to hear about other things. So again... If you would like to uh, know where that podcast will be, many of you already listen. Uh, don't think I'm desperate here. We've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands for each episode. But I'd like to move it up to the millions level. 
if I could. It's in the top 2% of all podcasts without any promotion whatsoever. And they're basically just repeats of a radio show. So the original ones become another story altogether. And I'm suspecting that there'll be an audience for it. We shall see in January. And again, I want to say this. It's up to you. If you want to hear them, you'll hear them. And if the audience is there, I'll keep doing them. And uh, come my birthday, March 31st, God willing, I will determine whether to go forward with it or not. That's all. Life will go on with or without Michael Savage's podcasts. I'll be right back. Savage. It is the Savage Nation. Uh, In the closing 25 seconds of this show, I've got such good news for you. I just got an email seconds ago on the fact that this show, this radio show, will likely be heard on Sundays on KSFO and other stations are lining up for it. Are you listening to this? I'm going to make it a one-hour call-in show just for you. Be here. The Westwood One Podcast Network.